episode 31 of That Being Said Podcast, the Seattle Super Pod Edition. Welcome in. Today, we had Joe Fan on from NBC Sports Northwest, Seahawks reporter, and I'm your co-host, Sammy Georgeur. And I'm George Georgeur, and we're coming at you recorded and direct from and live. Well, Steve, if you're listening to this, we're not live anymore, so I think I'm going to stop saying end live, but we were live. We were on Sammy, can you tell me where we were live? We were live on Periscope, aka Twitter. So go follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at Sont Seattle. That's S O N T Seattle. And we'll be live. So always check it out while we're going live at Pod That on Twitter and Instagram for the podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. So go do that. And then if you want to check out all our new Seattle news, go to SantSeattle.com. That's S-O-N-T Seattle.com. And for our main page, you can either click the logo up top or go to SantSports.com. That's S-O-N-T Sports.com. And that, once again, was podcast with NBC Sports Northwest reporter Joe Fan. I think on Twitter, if you want to follow him, it's a... I got it. At Joe Fan. It's at at Joe underscore F-A-N-N. And uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in today. There's going to be a quick word from our sponsor. But George, when I tell people to go to SantSeattle.com, what the hell does Sant stand for? It stands for Sports on Tap. And this is Sports Radio. Redefined. Enjoy the pod. All right, welcome into the That Being Said podcast. Uh, I'm Sammy. We have George here and our guest um, from NBC Northwest, Joe Fan. How you doing, Joe? Yo, what's going on, fellas? How you doing? Great, man. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, no sweat. I appreciate you having me. Well, I hope you are uh, staying safe. And, you know, I know we just discussed before the pod, we're all getting a little bored at home, but at least we still have uh, sports news always. We can always come up with sports topics and talk about sports news. And we've had some NFL offseason stuff. Um, and I think for to start, we really want to just hear kind of your story, how you got to where you are, um, you know, where you're from, how you got to covering the Seahawks and whatnot. Man, my story. Uh, so, yeah, I'm from Bothell. Um, and I went to Chapman University, small D3 school down in Orange County, California. As did I. Yeah, it was epic. It was like a vacation for four years. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but I was, um, what's a good say? Uh, so I was a television broadcast journalism major down there. And, uh, and then, you know, got a bunch of internships, tried to load up the resume as much as possible while I was down there, which is, you know, nice benefit of being in Southern California. There are a lot of opportunities in terms of teams and networks and, you know, plenty of, that's, you know, a hub of the sports industry, obviously. And so after that, I came back uh, in 2012. I worked for the Seahawks as a video intern, just kind of shooting and editing video for their digital team. Um I was back in Seattle for about two years. So the first year, a little bit in change, I, I worked for the Hawks. And then 
uh, both years I was working at the University of Washington as a PA announcer for three different sports, which is a whole lot of fun. Uh, actually, something I really miss doing. It's just not something I could commit to for a full season. Um, but that was a whole lot of fun. I also spent some time working for the Seattle Reign, uh, the women's soccer team up here for about eight months. And then in a, like June of 2014, I got hired by the Titans to uh, work for their website. It was a part-time gig, but I got to write and kind of report for the first time uh, throughout an NFL season. And so that lasted about 10 months. Then I got hired by the Niners full-time. It was my first full-time job with benefits and all that. And so it was quite the journey to get there. I mean, I was almost 26 at this point. Um, and then spent four and a half years, so four full seasons, but four and a half years um, with the Niners. And then took this job with NBC Sports Northwest and got the, the great opportunity to come back home and be around friends and family last July when, when NBC hired me. That's pretty awesome, too, that uh, I see that you ended up working for the 49ers, you said. And then I guess it was probably a pretty cool transition for you to be able to go from working for the Niners and then actually get to start working for your like childhood team. Was that a pretty cool experience to be able to kind of see both sides of it and then finally get to be able to to work in, in your hometown? I think the benefit is that I get to be back around friends and family. And when I left in 2014 to go to Nashville, um, I left without the expectation of ever getting to come back um, because I just didn't know what job would bring me back. And so, um, you know, then I'm with the Niners and I had kind of made the decision if I wanted to get out of the team side because there's some great benefits, but I wanted to kind of spread my wings a bit and, and get beyond that as well. So, um, uh, this opportunity came up actually after I had a few different uh, job opportunities with ESPN that would have taken me to different NFL markets that ultimately I didn't get. And then this one came up right after. So um, kind of a, a beautiful way of way things, the way things happen and went down. And, um, you know, first I signed a two year deal to be here and hopefully it ends up being more than that. But uh, at the very least, it's two years back in the Pacific Northwest that I never thought I'd get. And so with friends and family, I got two little nieces that I'm getting to see obviously more regularly. And, you know, all that's just been a huge blessing for me. So, yeah, I'm very lucky from that standpoint. But, you know, it has far less to do with, you know, strictly the Seahawks and more of just the people that I get to be around. You know, that's really cool. Uh, it's a great story. And and you worked hard to get here. I, I guess you said something about the team side versus this side. What, what do you like more about not being – I mean, obviously you have a lot more freedom to say what you want when you're not working for the team, but what are like some more benefits working on like the media side versus the team side? Uh, I think it's just the, the ability to have a voice, you know, I think, you know, when you're working on the team side, especially when I worked for the Niners and, you know, they weren't very good when I was there. And so you're kind of walking on eggshells a little bit, um, you know, because you have to, you want to be true to yourself. And I, I very much took the approach of, you know, I don't want to be an apologist. I don't want to be seen as someone who loses credibility because you can't be critical. And so a lot of times like, I would just say nothing at all, you know, because one of those things like I don't want to say something I don't believe in, but I also don't want to get in trouble for saying something that's going to upset a coach or a GM or someone in the front office or whoever. And, you know, there were a lot of times I was in the doghouse for things I didn't even think were a big deal. So uh, it just got to a point where I was like, all right, this is an amazing opportunity. I've absolutely loved it. I will always be indebted to that organization for giving me an opportunity. I mean, again, it was my first ever full-time job, but I feel like I just got to the point where I was ready for the challenge of um, covering a team, covering a beat, um, where you're able to flex your muscles from an analytical standpoint and say what you feel and, uh, and be more personable. You don't have to be kind of in this 
box where you can't really take chances or be fun or be yourself. And I'm just, I'm not a very vanilla guy as uh, anyone who follows me is, you know, probably in tune with, and that, you know, that's okay. That's not for everybody, you know, and I'm yeah. all right with that, you know, but I do think, um, you know, I try to have a sports and entertainment mindset because it's so much, um, you know, beyond what the information is, but it's like, you know, I want to be a likable dude that people enjoy interacting with and conversing with and, and ultimately, you know, make it enjoyable content to consume. So um, I'm able to do that far more in this role now than, than I used to be uh, with the Niners. Yeah, no, I, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's, it's hard because I know probably, you know, covering a team, a lot of people want to be overly optimistic, but at the same time, you probably want to just speak your opinion once in a while. If you think there's a bad matchup, you kind of want to talk about that bad matchup rather than having to either stay silent on the, on the matter or, you know, have to basically pretend like, oh yeah, Seahawks have an advantage here or, or in other cases, oh, the 49ers have an advantage here when you really, you know, your opinion actually might be something else. Yeah, I just think you should be able to be true to what you're thinking and what you're feeling. And, um, you know, you always want to be fair and you all, but you, you know, you don't want to pretend like things don't exist. And so, um, you know, I think my overall approach is, you know, fans want hope, fans want positivity. And so, you know, I do try to bring, you know, a hopeful, optimistic outlook to my coverage because no one wants to read somebody who is just doom and gloom at all times, right? Yeah. Um, but again, it comes with a balance of, calling it like you see it and not being, um, you know, not giving everything a pass and saying that, you know, oh, you know, you're, you're an apologist and making excuses for everything. And so, again, like everything, it's a balance, but um, it's certainly one you're allowed to have, again, in this job and this current role that I have rather than, you know, what, you know, I've done in the past. Yeah, that's awesome. And I guess uh, you are, I, I, we both, you know, see you on Twitter all the time and you do, your personality does show up on Twitter, which a lot of I feel like media writers sometimes don't. Some people use it really effectively, and some people don't use it effectively. But it seems like you kind of embrace it. You talk to people. You go back and forth. Is it, does you find that to be like helpful in growing your brand personally, or is it just something you have fun with? Because I know a lot of people have. There's two trains of thoughts of Twitter. Some people are like, "Yeah, man, it, it's it's great. It helps me build my brand." And some people are like, "Ah, it's a waste of time." Um, I don't think it's a waste of time at all. I don't, I get why some people might not want to do it and might not want to be as public with their lives and their feelings yeah. and things that are going on. But to me, like, as long as it's not a shtick, like, like I don't have any sort of like character, like it's just me, you know what I mean? And so, you know, from that standpoint, I, I think people can, again, I'm not for everybody and I'm totally okay with that. And I respect people who are like, nah, Joe's not my guy. And that's fine. But I don't think anyone can say like, well, he's a, he's phony. He's not real. He's, you know, and I think when you build that kind of relationship with your readers and your viewers, it makes for more authentic conversation. Um, you know, I think it, um, you know, allows people to have, you know, kind of the, the confidence and, um, you know, faith that we're like, well, I can, you know, I can disagree with this guy, but he's still like a cool dude. And I, I you know, he will interact with me and, we can have like a normal conversation. He doesn't take himself too seriously or the job too seriously. I think that's one of the biggest pitfalls you can have is, is taking yourself too seriously or taking the job too seriously to where you put yourself on this pedestal of I'm this all knowing guy. And anyone who speaks against what my opinions are um, is just flat out wrong. And I never want to come across with that kind of arrogance. And I'm not saying that there are a lot of people who do, but I think all of us have seen it to that, you know, to at least some degree, right. Where, 
um, you know, they know what their job is and that makes them the smartest guy in the room where in fact, like, I feel like I learned a ton from, you know, from fans or, you know, fan accounts who don't, you know, write full time or, you know, everyone's got an opinion. And I think a lot of people have really interesting opinions and, and sometimes they, you know, are able to, um, you know, share those opinions better than I can. And it helps me learn and go back and challenge what I think. And so I, I'm always at the thought that, that, you know, good, healthy conversation and um, being true yourself and being authentic, uh, you know, is always a really positive thing. Yeah, I like that answer a lot, actually, because I, I agree. I mean, it's uh, being authentic is kind of the key. And I think you do a pretty good, great, great job of it on Twitter. And I mean, I, I even I appreciate that, you know, someone like, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of media writers that might act like, you know, I know everything and I'm, you know, so don't, don't question me. Uh, I, you've always mentioned, you know, I, I follow you well on Twitter because we, we report Seahawks news and you always have different Seahawks news and you even get into other things. Like today I saw you got into a little bit of the coronavirus stuff. You said, I would hope everybody um, would want the open States to continue to show good numbers. And it's, it, it was a good, I saw a lot of people responding in a good conversation and, you know, I think you've done a great job as a media personality, not trying to pick a political side. You're just trying to learn from other people and understand everyone's opinions. And I think that's pretty key because there's a lot of people out there that um, it's either, you know, my opinion's right or, or everyone else is wrong. So I think you've done yeah, a great job with general, that. There are a lot of parallels between sports and politics, right? Because you mm -hmm. are on one side inherently someone is on the other side. And so um, I, I think people very quickly want to, and this isn't, this is just in life, right? They want to decide so immediately before they even like figure out what has actually been said. It's like, okay, is this person on my side or are they on the other side? And <laughs> that's going to, you know, putting them in whatever bucket I think they're in is immediately going to dictate how I respond to that. Right. Um, you know, to where it's the same thing in sports, where if you say something positive about a team you cover, you're a homer. Or if you say something negative, you're a fan of another team and you hate, you know, the Seahawks because you said something negative, right? It's yeah. <laughs> just, what exhausts me is I feel like people are so quick to jump to anger and defensiveness and where it's just like it, they don't want to challenge their own opinions or potentially a different view or even one they just don't agree with, um, you know, and say, oh, I still disagree, but like, that's still interesting, right? Um you know, we're like the first, I hate it in sports, you know, sports, someone, you say something and, oh, you're a homer. It's like, come on, like, you're not even trying to listen to what's being said. Yep. You just disagree and that's how you're going to respond. And so, like, that's not productive for anybody, right? And then if you want to go political, we don't have to go on this, down this path much because I don't think any of us want to. <laughs> but, like, right, you're either, like, a leftist or a MAGA bro. And there's no in between. Yep. Like, I remember when, like, the just the two examples, there was, like, in one week there were, like, an example of where I was called both on several occasions. It was like, I, I said something about how like, man, this doesn't feel like this administration's handling the coronavirus response very well. And it was like, you're a leftist, you're crazy. And then like, there was a conversation about uh, Travis Kelsey, um, you know, wanting to go to the white house, you know, and even though Trump is there, it's been a dream of his and all these sorts of things now. And people were calling him out and saying how terrible that was. And I was like, I don't know. I think you can separate the two and like, still think that's an incredible achievement um, and an, an unbelievable opportunity you might not get again, even before the fact that like, 
at that point, then you have an audience with the president of the United States. Yeah. Should you want to bring something up you disagree yeah. with? But I didn't even get into that. I just said, like, I think that's pretty cool. And I honestly probably want to do the same thing because I'd like to go to the White House. And he's like, you're a MAGA bro. You're nuts, dude. Like, it's like, like, it's crazy. So it is like, I, I try not to wade into those waters too much because the response is always so aggressive uh, one side or the other. But uh, again, I think it's, it's important not to be afraid of in anything sports politics whatever of conversation and challenging your opinions and having respectful back and forth and um it's it's okay to have an opinion without having to convince everyone to believe like you do i think that's like where we get lost in and then we've kind of gone down this rabbit hole but i think it's it's this is healthy conversation where like you can say something like this is what i believe in because x y and z without saying at the end and you should believe this way too you know i think that's where we have this disconnect yeah, yeah I, oh, go ahead, Sam. Go ahead, go ahead. I was saying that's something that I feel like too many people get in the rabbit hole with is what you just said. You can't go on. You're either far right, far left, huge homer, huge uh, hater of a team. And a lot of times the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And I feel like yeah. most people know that the – I don't know if they do it for reaction, but like – and or to be on brand always like there's I feel like a lot of people can't, you know, navigate both sides. They either go all the way to the right side on everything or all the way home on something or all the way to the other side. And it kind of frustrates me in general because I'm that type too, where I have some really strong opinions and sometimes they might lean one way and sometimes they might lean the other way. But I feel like you got to be you got to be nimble in your opinions because the information can change and all that. And I just find sometimes it's really, it puts a lot of people off, but you can't be afraid of that. You got to just go for it. If you truly believe in something. Yeah. Ultimately, if you're, again, if you're being authentic and that's such a huge word. And I think for the most part, if people understand that you're being authentic, rational people and the majority of people out there will give you the benefit of the doubt of like, Yes. Okay. You know, like, again, I disagree with you, but your, your opinion is made from logic and reason. And while we see these things two different ways, like I get how you got there and that's okay. Right. I just think it's so healthy to challenge your own opinions and and challenge Mm -hmm. the way you think about things and always be learning and, and different things like that. And, you know, no better way to do that than conversing with others. And it can be something as simple as sports and as intense as, you know, a pandemic and, um, all those things can be helpful. I agree. Definitely. That's why you're a great follow on Twitter. And it's, uh, it's always nice to see uh, people that are, you know, we're very equal minded the way you think and you're open to discussion. And like you said, it doesn't always mean that you're leaning one way or the other. You're just trying to learn and understand from everyone. Well, I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Um, let's get into some Seahawks talk. Um, and I know that the big news <laughs> This last 24 hours has been the Quinton Dunbar news and in a series of some kind of crazy events, given the fact that I know yesterday morning was his like Zoom press conference with Seahawks reporters. I'm not sure. Were you on that uh, Zoom? Yeah, I was. Wow. (laughs) And then within what? Within how many hours was it? Within the. the, Yeah. Yeah. It was. He spoke to us within 12 hours of it happening. And, you know, kind of the bizarre thing you look back on is, you know, we all hopped on the call. It was supposed to be at 8 a.m. and he was late. And so we all hopped off and and Seahawks PR was very respectful and just like, hey, we're sorry, guys. We're trying to find him. We're going to make this happen. 
Um, and they, it was probably 15 minutes later, they, they got him and, and we got back on and, and did it. And you don't really think anything of it. Cause like in general, like athletes can be hard to herd in general, kind of be like herding cats, even when you're all in person. Um, Cause very few of them are like psyched about doing any sort of media session, which understandable, totally get that again. Yeah. Know your place in the media and like, understand, like, don't take a job too seriously. So like, that's fine. I didn't have anything to do. So but you don't really think anything of it. Like, you chatted with him. He was an amicable dude. You liked him. Um, got some good stuff out of him. And I asked him about having a fresh start. And he's talking about wanting to be wanted and all these different things. And, of course, that's the angle you go. So he's excited to have this new beginning in Seattle and potentially getting a huge payday next off season. And, oh, my goodness. I mean, <laughs> I was on, like, a Zoom happy hour with, like, my department with NBC Sports Northwest. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, well, back to work. And it's just, you read the police report and it's just baffling to me. And I think that's one of the hardest parts of, of the job is that I have a really hard time relating to like how, even getting through the thought process of how does that happen? And I understand these are, these are young kids um, and some of them have, you know, different levels of, you know, background that are more or less severe um, of things that I can't relate to and, you know, they have money that they don't know how to deal with yet, but I mean, all it's, you know, the, to what is crazy to me is how so many times you see it where there just isn't, you can't, they don't grasp the, the sense of, um, consequence and, you know, they think they're untouchable and kind of walk on water and they can do whatever they want. And who knows what the case is here. And I don't want to jump to conclusions and obviously, you know, innocent until proven guilty, but, um, there's obviously some smoke to this fire. There's far too many witnesses for it to be nothing. And, um, you know, it does seem inevitable that the CX are going to have to release him, whether or not he serves extreme jail time or whether things get reduced to, you know, whatever the case may be. And, you know, if any of these details are, are true, and you know, unless it ends up being a you know, huge scam, uh, which seems like a long shot at this point, you know, I just don't see how he ever plays a snap for the Seahawks. It's crazy. <laughs> I, that's, that was kind of one thing that, you know, I want, I was definitely wanted to ask you and you answered it, is like, you've said it's kind of hard to comprehend sometimes is, you know, you're talking to these guys and you're, you just had a conversation and, and asking questions and he wants to feel wanted. And he says, I remember there was a quote that he wanted to, you know, be part of something special here and pay them back in how he handles himself as a person. And then, you know, couple hours after you talk to somebody like this and you probably get to meet some of these guys and genuinely feel like, Oh, good guy. Like you said, and it was a fun conversation, excited to have him around. And then you hear this type of news and it probably is just like, it's probably mind blowing. You know, it's like, you have nothing, you don't even know what to say because you just talked to them a few hours ago and you know, they're talking about character and talking about, you know, how, how they want to be contributors. And it's probably not, not what you expect to come out the next five hours. Well, it's it's the eerie part of it was that it had already happened. Like mm -hmm. it's not like oh after the night before something crazy. She's like, man, I didn't think he was going to do that. Like he had this composed, normal conversation about like this new beginning. Like while like that's certainly on his mind, right? Like or you don't you know, and if he's going through that and not thinking anything of what happened. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it really is hard to wrap your head around. Like it's something I have never experienced as a media member. This is, um, a, again, a, a really, really drastic, 
comparison and is not an apples to apples comparison. I want to make that disclaimer right now, but it's like how you, you, know, you guys probably watched the Aaron Hernandez documentary and yeah. um, you know, it's like the potential of the, you know, these murders happen and he goes and plays a season of football and all these people are interacting with him and he's going about business as usual. And like, then you come to learn that these things have already happened and you have been with this person talking to this person since. And you're like, wow, that's hard to, you know, digest and comprehend. And I think that's kind of like this. It's like, what, you know? I, so it, it really is hard to put into words, but um, it's, it's a shame. It's a very sad situation. And, um, you know, last I checked, he wasn't in custody, but he will be soon. And you know, who knows what comes next? Yeah. And I, I also noticed, I used to live in South Florida for a while and uh, his area, Mira, like, I think he's, it was in Miramar area where this all occurred and it might be like a little bit of a rougher area where it happened and you just wonder does this stuff like kind of been like you said normalized has he seen things like this in his life where it's just no big deal to him he came back and business as usual and it's kind of i mean you don't want to make assumptions but it's uh it's troubling to say the least and whether or not he's guilty of what they're telling him of what you know he's being accused of doing he had a role it seems like like you said there's too much smoke and it seems like there's some sort of role being played and hopefully it's you know the lesser role than the bigger role but it's i'm with you it's going to be really hard to imagine him in a seahawks uniform once the season starts yeah i completely agree with you i don't have anything else to add it's just a wild situation it's really a it's a bummer for a player who had a ton of promise and a huge opportunity at hand to, to make himself a whole lot of money this season yeah, and I think that's that's it's sad. And I know he was a big offseason story. I mean, a lot of people are saying, you know, Seahawks stole him from the Redskins. He was, I think, according to Pro Football Focus, which, you know, they they had some interesting rankings this week. According to Pro Football Focus, though, he was like the second best ranked corner after Richard Sherman last year. And so, whether that's a Hunter Ack or not, he's obviously a top notch corner in the league. And you know, Seahawks got him for a pretty cheap price, but. And now you hear news like this, it's pretty disappointing. And I guess to, to go off of that, um, I believe you did write a piece today kind of discussing what the Seahawks could do moving forward. Because like you said, it's pretty hard to expect him to play in a Seahawks uniform. If any part of this turns out to be true and he's guilty, then I'd say I think you would agree with this. It's almost a 0% chance he plays for the Seahawks. What's the next option for for the Seahawks because I know that was a position of need and and that's why they went and got him. Honestly, my gut tells me they'll just, they'll just say they might sign a um, you know kind of an inconsequential name to say it's competition with Trey Flowers. My gut says they don't make a, a significant investment to replace Dunbar and they say, all right, Trey, hey, we had faith in you all along <laughs> that you you were going to take a big step forward and you know now you have the opportunity to show us that you did and. Um, you know, I, I think that's ultimately the route they go. I think Drake Kirkpatrick and Logan Ryan are the, the big names left out there. Obviously, Logan Ryan, the, the, the bigger name of the two and will be the more expensive of the two. And he would be their best option if they did decide that, you know, hey, we can't go into the season thinking that Trey's our guy. Um, but it is a shame because you had this guy on, you know, the cheap that you got for, you know, a screaming deal, just a fifth round pick. And, um, you know, was someone you expected to transform your secondary and, you know, a lot of people would tell you he was their favorite, you know, off-season acquisition. And so yeah. you take that out of the picture and it does leave a void. Um, but ultimately, I think the Seahawks are frugal enough and they're not ones to overreact to a situation um, in terms of making knee-jerk decisions. Um, and so to me, 
I think they will let, they will one let it ride out and see kind of what happens and how things unfold. I don't think they'll release him immediately. They'll probably give him some benefit of the doubt until they learn more about what exactly happened. But then beyond that, um, I don't think they're going to be in a rush to sign anyone to replace him. Yeah, well, I guess like you said, they 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 kind of had to pretend they were believing in Trey Flowers for quite some time. So here it is, right? I guess continue to try to believe in him. And that is a question that we got earlier today was we wanted, people wanted to hear opinions on the corner position. And uh, we just got a, uh, another comment here on Periscope and saying though, it's kind of unfortunate. We could have potentially drafted some depth at that position. Um, you know, we obviously picked up another tight end in the draft more offensive linemen do you think if this was something that had happened earlier the Seahawks would have at least maybe drafted somebody at that position or do you still think they probably would have just continued to go with Trey Flowers uh they're pretty true with their board and so it's I think to me it's too much of a hypothetical given to me that like that all the decisions I think they made made sense and I don't think there was um, you know, they were there's a, it was a pretty deep cornerback class, but I think they love Jordan Brooks so much that I don't know if there was a corner they would have taken above him. Um, you know, so I would say maybe, but I don't want to go too far down that road and say, of course, their draft would have looked completely different if, you know, Dunbar, you know, this news would have gone down to begin with. Because, you know, I look at their draft class and to me, it's eight players that makes a whole lot of sense. And you know, maybe it's a day three guy potentially, but you look down the list of Jordan Brooks, uh, Daryl Taylor and Damian Lewis on, you know, they're first three rounds and you add Kobe Parkinson. And then I, I think, okay, you know, you pick, you look at it saying DJ Dallas in the fourth, find your best corner on the board. And that's where you grab him. And then maybe for sure. Um, you know, I can, I can see how things potentially would have been different, but I don't think it would have altered the, uh, um, the cornerstones of the draft. Yeah. Well, well, at least, you know, I, I kind of agree with that too. Cause I, like you said, Seahawks seem like they're pretty true to, who they like in the draft. And it's probably their draft board was their draft board. <laughs> and I think, I think if there was someone they truly loved and thought was a can't miss player, they would have drafted him anyways. You know, I yeah. don't think, I think the, the logic goes both ways to where, you know, it's not that they didn't draft a corner because they had Dunbar. They might not have viewed it as, as much of a need to where they were not going to trade up for a guy, but you know, had there been someone there that they absolutely loved and had to have, I think they would have taken them anyways. Yeah, it seems like they usually do that anyway. Like they, like you said, they're true to their board a lot of times during drafts. So, it I don't think it'd be very out of character for them to go and uh, reach for someone just because they need a, someone at that position. Yep. No, I can totally agree with you. Yeah, and uh, I kind of want to shift here, focus a little bit on to. I, I, were you aware of the? story i think it was what four or five days ago with the miles garrett thing and how twitter exploded with that uh yeah and who's please everybody loves dudes is that the name of the yeah, everybody yeah i know i was couldn't wait i was hoping adam Schefter would have to tweet out like everybody love nudes reports that yeah <laughs> yeah but that yeah. was one of the wackiest uh, stories I've ever seen. And, of course, I fell for it. I put out a video. Um, and, of course, after after the fact, like, I, I think it was my – I got over 100 sends on Instagram and, like, so many retweets. And then afterwards, I just got bombarded with messages calling me an idiot. But that's that's life. <laughs> I told them not to buy it. <laughs> I think people – in I mean, there's it's a powerful thing when, one, people are bored and have time on their hands, and, two – when people want things to be true, 
and you know they get any sort of sense of oh this guy called justin Britt and whatever and you know okay maybe he doesn't know somebody but like calling justin Britt. i mean i guess the fact it was the day i was impressed but like the writing was on the wall for that one for months so it wasn't a super out of left field thing and any you know in general there were a lot of red flags to why that wouldn't be the case um however uh, i get why it caught like wildfire i think people had fun with it i think even after the fact that you know it's come out it's been fake i think it's still fun um again it comes down to like don't take yourself or things too seriously. Like you got, got, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not that big of a deal. You know, it, I, I never will say I bought into it, but like, it's also, I'm not here to be like, yeah, you idiot. How could, what, how could you possibly have fallen? If it's like, because it's easy to fall for stuff like that. And um, I, if I was a fan and like, I, I wanted it so badly to happen, I probably would be all in. I had like five friends text me like, dude, 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 you see this, dude. Miles Garrett, dude, what do you think? And I was like, I don't want to be the buzzkill, but like, dude, it's not happening. Like, don't get your hopes up. Like, Yo, come on, like he did this. He called the Justin Britt thing. Like, this is this might be it. And I was like, no, it's it's, it's not it's happening. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. But like, you know what I mean? So it wasn't like it was just like people on Twitter going nuts. Like I have my phone was, you know, blown up to a degree of friends who I would call very smart Seahawks fans and rational thinkers. And they were so pumped by it that like, you just want it to be true. So um, again, it's a, it was the, it was the perfect storm uh, that allowed it to gain such steam given the position of need and the inability to get clowny back and all these sorts of things um, to where it ended up being kind of a fun, bizarre day on social media. And you know what, where we're at right now in life, like, I'm down for a bizarre, weird, random day on social media where no one gets hurt. Nothing goes wrong. It's just there's this one epic troll. I give credit to the troll. I mean, that's amazing. That's, that's well, he, got on KJ, he got on I KJR. Mean, <laughs> he played the long game. He got on KJR. Like, you know what? Tip your cap. You got Seahawks Twitter, and you got him good. And I think that's a whole lot of fun. Again, Me too. No I, I mean, that was one of the best troll jobs ever. I just – anytime – because everybody loves nudes. Like, I should have, like, with that username, because you have taken them too seriously. That's the best. The username is so brilliant. Like, it's so, <laughs> like, that was trending. And will, everybody loves nudes will forever be famous within Seahawks Twitter. And, like, yep. you'll see a report. I remember it was a couple days ago with the Russell Wilson being traded the Browns thing. Yep. Everyone's like, everyone loves nudes is the source. You know, he's the one reporting it. And so it's it's going to go on for a while. Kind of like the, what the TJ Lang joke that people love and, um, you know, all those sorts of things. So I don't know. I think it's kind of fun. Silly, but yeah. fun. Same. It was, I actually enjoyed it all. I even enjoyed like the backlash, like people coming at in my inbox and like, just, oh, you're such an idiot. I, I kind of, I, I kind of love it. I'm like, dude, it's not that serious. Yeah, correct. Not that serious at all. Yeah, it's it's a fun idea to think of. It'd be awesome if the Seahawks got Miles Garrett. So it's a fun idea. Yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, you mentioned the Russell Wilson to the Browns thing, and I know that you know is another piece of news that's been circulating. But then today, Hugh Jackson came out, um, who was obviously coaching the Browns at the time, and said that that absolutely never happened. I this one came from Chris Sims, I believe it was, and it seems like it circulated a, even more than the Miles Garrett news. This one's gone beyond Seahawks Twitter; it's gone to Bleacher Report and ESPN and a lot of different news sources. 
do you find any truth in that story? For me, it would I would feel like it is absolutely a it would blow my mind if the Seahawks really were to try to get rid of Russell Wilson for the number one pick in a time where you never know who you're drafting a quarterback if he's going to be. It's a one in a, one in a thousand chance they're as good as a Russell Wilson, right? So, do you find truth in that story? Do, do you think it's something that actually might have happened? I kind of just want to get your opinion on that. To me, the way it's been blown up is a gross over exaggeration and mischaracterization of what I think probably happened. I think you start with the fact that Chris Sims, like, I kind of heard this, but I didn't follow up. Like, all right, <laughs> the conversation you were having was like really serious and things materialized to the point of where there was potentially an offer, that would be something that you would follow up on. If not, it's an, yeah. it's an egregious miss on Chris Sims' part. So to me, it says, I believe a conversation took place, but like you have to understand, it's a long year and it's every front office's responsibility to be ready for every potential possibility. When the Browns have, you know, two of the top five picks in the draft, including number one overall, and you have GMs who are at the combine having a beer, or you have they're at owners' meetings, or and John Schneider says, Would you give us top two picks for Russell Wilson? Like, <laughs> yeah, he, I mean? yeah, like, you give me a couple beers down, and somebody's like, Oh, I would. <laughs> that constitutes a conversation, like, how, like, you know, we've all had that with fantasy leagues, right? Like, how much are you this guy's not tradable, but like if you were tradable, how much would you give us, right? Like, yep. that's probably, fit, one, probably, fit, you know, genuinely seeing what the market is, but two, like, you know, can I get your next three drafts all, you know, every single pick? Um, I don't know exactly what happened to the conversation, obviously. I don't, honestly don't think anybody does because there's been no <laughs> details reported beyond that, you know, this conversation happened. But I think for it to come out, two years after the fact when there's no sports going on, it's a pandemic. It's just, to me, is just so bizarre. It's been blown up to where the Seahawks offered Russell Wilson for the number one pick and the Browns turned it down. Who's the bigger idiot? How could you possibly? And it's like, let's relax. Like John Schneider <laughs> owes to himself to understand what the market is for his quarterback. Um, understanding that, you know, they still have to resign him and that's not a done deal yet. Um, and you have to, you know, figure out what's best for your team. And also if Russ decides, you know, I'm going to go elsewhere, then, yep. um, you know, we, we got to be prepared for that and whatever. So um, to me, you know, I read the PFT story and it just feels weird of like, you know, some people believe that it's only a matter of time. Well, it's like, I yep. read only a matter of time. And that means imminent, right? Like only a matter of time means like it's coming down the pipe, which yeah, like, like it's this year. Not- <laughs> it's just not because the Seahawks would assume like 80 million in dead cap space beyond the fact that he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and is a hall of fame player. Like there's so many layers to why, like, okay, it's not going to happen anytime soon. So then at that point, you're going to the point of like, don't be surprised if someday he plays for another team. Like, Oh, okay. Like that's not a huge hill to die on. Right. Yeah. Tom, like Tom Brady, Brady just played yeah. for the Bucks. So like, sure. When this all, when this contract ends and he maybe signs elsewhere, okay, it's conceivable, but, like, if you come back to that and say, oh, that's a win for me, it doesn't really make any sense because I read it's only a matter of time. So, I don't know. It's all really bizarre. I think it's been blown so far out of proportion, but I also, at the same time, I get it. It's the off season, and that's how these things happen. When we don't have any live sports to talk about, we go down this path of, you know, who's bigger idiots, the Seahawks or the Browns, and could this possibly be true? And we him and haw about it over and over again. And 
Um, you know, the fact that I think in the story, Mike Florio wrote, Chris Sims un- unknowingly lit a few, a slow burning fuse. And it's like, well, that's not that unknowingly, right? Like if I'm about to tweet out or say on a podcast or something that like, I've heard this rumor, all world quarterback, perennial pro bowler, potentially traded to the Brown. Like that's a seismic trade. It's like, let's not play dumb and think like, oh, we're shocked this blew up the way it did. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's a really long winded answer. Just be like, I, I don't, I believe that there was a conversation in some capacity that happened at some point, but there's a really, really big difference between that and an offer materializing. Yeah. And I, I think we have a comment here too on Facebook that's saying that's exactly how we think Russell Wilson to the Browns conversation happened spot on. And that's what I thought too. I was assuming, you know, there could be two, it could be two GMs having a beer, like you said, just like fantasy to be like, Oh, what would it take to get, you know, your two, your, your number one and number five and next year's first. And, and one GM's like Russell Wilson. And, and you never know. Like Shana's like, Oh, but, all right, I'll think about it. Like maybe he actually does think about it. Maybe he doesn't, but, if I was a GM, I'd probably have those type of conversations too. I think we all do in the world of business and even in our fantasy football worlds, whatever it is, we all ask hypotheticals like, oh, I mean, just wondering what would it take to get this deal done, right? And I think 100%. that's probably what happened. Yeah, and that's, that's just the world we live in. So it's it, it sure, did that maybe happen? Maybe, and, and maybe, maybe he did actually consider it given the fact that you said a pretty key point is, there was speculation that Russell Wilson was going to go sign with the Giants, right? And maybe he was like, all right, let's make a move before that happens. and Or let's have something in the works in case, the worst case scenario, Russell actually does want to leave Seattle. We can maybe have something on the table and test the market, like you said. He owes it to himself to see if I need to trade Russell Wilson, what can I get? Yeah, I agree. I, I just think it's it's insane to me how much it blew up and how much people are still talking about it. But at the same time, it makes perfect sense because what else are we going to do right now? No, exactly. It almost reminds me of, uh, what was that movie draft draft day? Yeah. Where they trade like 17 first round picks and yeah. Yep. Yeah. To go get, and it was, I think it was the Browns and the Seahawks. I think it was. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. 17 was, it was the worst trade in history of pro sports. <laughs> Yeah, could you imagine? That would that that should be what it would take to get a to get Russell Wilson. <laughs> and Joe, yeah. I did I do have a question for you. Before I want to talk about the season before we get going, but I do have one question um, in regards to the fact of being from Seattle and, and reporting for the Seahawks is when you see stories like this, and you know, there's guys like Russell Wilson, obviously, to me and to many others already believe a Hall of Fame quarterback, one of the greatest. You know, we will. We're going to maybe the greatest quarterback in Seahawks history that we'll ever have. Do you, does covering the team make you somewhat see it in a different lens or do you still have the like fan part of you or does it? Cause I've heard some people say the fan part of me doesn't exist when I'm reporting for the team. And so I just wonder where does that stand for you being from Seattle? I definitely don't have the fan part of it, right? I just don't think I'd be able to do my job to the best of my ability if I was emotionally tied to the outcome. And I never want to write or tweet or cover something to where you read it and you say, man, that sounds personal. And you're making it personal. Yeah. <laughs> and like, that's just not how things should be. Um, and I want to be 
you know, and this isn't just because I covered the Niners. So this isn't just because, you know, it, it just, I think, again, it goes back to authenticity and being people, you know, being able to trust that what you're saying has no agenda and no, and no slant and no, um, you know, bias behind it. And that's really important to me. But at the same time, while I don't go watch Seahawks games, you know, necessarily caring whether they win or not, you know, and I would say I do care if they win or not because it's just more fun to cover a winning team, like just point blank, right? Yeah. It's fun to cover playoff games. It's fun to cover teams that are relevant because there's nothing worse. And, man, I did it a whole lot with the Titans and Niners where every week is just you're just trying to get through it because they're not playing for anything and there's no storylines and you're really just waiting to get to the next year's draft. So, like, this last year covering the Seahawks was absolutely my most fun covering any team I've ever covered in my, what, six years now of covering the NFL. Um, with that, um, it's still very possible to be a fan of the game and be able to watch Russell Wilson dice up Seattle's defense during training camp, be able to watch some of the throws, um, you know, during, uh, you know, the games this last season. And you're just like, wow. And, like, you know, yeah. you can still truly appreciate the talent that he is and have some fun with it on social media. And, you know, again, like you can still be positive and be, uh, you know, fun with it and, you know, kind of send a, how on earth did he just do that? You know, what a magician type tweets and, you know, the, the whatever the, the insane pass on primetime when he's rolling left and finds Tyler Lockett in the back of the end zone where it's just like, dude's a video game, you know, and like yeah. you can have fun with it and appreciate his greatness without being a homer, without being, um, a fan and covering a team from that standpoint. So, um, and, and I do because he is absolutely tremendous. And I think that's been the biggest takeaway for me. You know, we're obviously not, um, familiar with the Seahawks from being here, but also, you know, working in, you know, the same, covering the same division over the, you know, previous four seasons. So you obviously know how good Russell Wilson is, but being able to be in camp last year and watch him every single day, it was just a work of art and the Seahawks defense had no answer for him pretty much every day. He just did whatever he wanted. And you're just like, man, this guy is so special. He just, he's playing a different game than other quarterbacks in the NFL are playing outside of a couple. So, um, you know, yes, I, I think even though I wouldn't say I'm a fan of the Seahawks, you can still absolutely appreciate the greatness of, of many of the players on that team, Russell Wilson, um, you know, most specifically. Yeah, I would just uh, that that's uh, I would assume it would be hard to cover if you did have like over fandom type of personality because it'd be hard to not be biased. But like you said, I think it is you know it's one of those situations whether you you know you weren't a 49ers fan growing up, but you would go there and you'd appreciate those guys that showed greatness just like you would appreciate when Russell Wilson shows his greatness and. I do have a question for you. And I, I asked this, I usually ask a question that involves, you know, what's your three favorite of this or just a question of with, with three. And I want to ask, sure. covering the Seahawks, what is either your favorite three Russell Wilson moments? Or if you don't have three specifically, you can just go with your three favorite moments covering the Seahawks. Okay, um, man, let me the the locket play for sure is one of yeah. them. Um, man, I'm trying to think back to the games last year. Uh, I think this is the Niners game in Week Ten, 
was even the one in week 17 was nuts but the one in week 10 was just like so bonkers and that game was won and lost by both teams on so many different occasions <laughs> it wasn't until i got like back to my hotel room that night where i was like i thought back to the first half was like oh my gosh like dk metcalf fumbled at like the two yard line what a huge play <laughs> that was and i just forgot it happened because the second half and overtime even just overtime was so insane where there was like five possessions in overtime and in a 10 minute overtime it just never happened so like the that game was nuts. Um, and the play of the year for sure was the, the Russell Wilson, the Tyler Lockett um, play. And then I would say just how absurd getting to Green Bay was. And, you know, I think it's certainly a memory that's more fun to look back on than it was to go through it because um, it was pretty miserable. Um, but I remember I was traveling with me and one of my coworkers, Lindsay, and then uh, the Seattle Times crew. We were supposed to fly to Chicago and then drive uh, three hours to get to Green Bay. Well, our flight to Chicago got canceled for weather. So we had to fly to San Francisco and then fly to Minneapolis. And Minneapolis was a four-hour drive to Appleton, Wisconsin. So it was like 18 hours of travel. (laughs) Get to the hotel. We sleep for, I don't know, seven hours, eight hours. Wake up. We went and grabbed breakfast. Went to Lambeau Field. Starts snowing pretty hard. So we leave Lambeau Field at like 11, 11.30. Um, our flight's at 6 a.m. out of Chicago. So we've got a three-hour drive ahead of us, but it ends up being four and a half hours because it's snowing. We're just driving like three or like 35 miles an hour on this you know, Green Bay Highway, Wisconsin <laughs> Highway, trying to get to Chicago. Get to the airport, get on the flight, fly home, and go straight to the VMAC for exit interviews and then finally get home after that and it was just an absolutely ridiculous 48 hour stretch 72 hour stretch where you're like you know and and what's crazy about it is that we were all in the press box in philadelphia watching the saints vikings game um and just cheering so hard for the saints to win that game and come back and win and then when drew Brees fumbled it you know that bizarre turnover at the end of the game and you just because you it went from the easiest travel market in the country, San Francisco, so that, you know only one that's you know two hour flight down the street, you know, yeah, down the street, a million different flights, no, you know, super easy to getting to uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin in the month of January, the literal hardest spot to get to in the NFL in terms of NFL markets, and so it was just quite the swing, and ended up being a wild travel story, and. Um, spent a lot of time in the car with Adam Jude and Larry Stone and Bob Condota, and it was insane. But uh, looking back on it, it's kind of those are some of the moments that make the job fun. Yeah, that's that's pretty. Was that your first time in Lambo, or not your first time? Um, my first time in Lambo was with the Niners the year prior. But the beautiful thing about working for the team, and this is easily the best part of working for the team, is the uh, um is the travel benefits because when you work for a team, you leave an extra day prior, you're on a charter. So you're going, instead of going to, you know, Chicago, you're flying straight into green Bay. Uh, And then the second the game's over, you hop on a bus, hop on a charter bus, hop on your charter flight, fly home and you end the night in your own bed. Um, So like the, the ease of travel while working for the team is just incredible and makes a huge difference when it's hard to get to markets like Cleveland. There isn't a direct flight to Cleveland from Seattle. And so you're, you know, spend two full days traveling Saturday and Monday after the game. And so, you know, far different with the team travel. And that's 
easily what I miss most, uh, as well as the cafeteria, the team facility. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so it was my second time to Lambeau, but my first time really having the full, you know, in January playoff football in the snow Lambeau experience. I remember following you on Twitter through that, uh, through that experience. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't you end up having the flu after that? Even I believe. Or was I had that a the little flu. Bit? I had the flu coming home from Philadelphia and it was like one of the most miserable experiences Ooh. ever. I was. And then um, off to green Bay. <laughs> and then off to green Bay. Exactly. I was, I got like the chills in the press box in Philly. By the time I got back to the hotel, it was, it was just a miserable experience. And, um, luckily I ended up getting better to where I got through green Bay. Okay. But, uh, certainly when the season was over, I wasn't complaining. I was, uh, I was pretty wiped. <laughs> Ready to relax. Well, no, that, that's an incredible story. But like, like you said, though, um, th- that's what memories are like made. It, you almost could have got to China and back with 18 hours. Of <laughs> yeah, it was absurd. I mean, the amount of things you can do in 18 hours, and just like how unproductive it was. And what's crazy is like, you know, we were all hoping we'd go to San Francisco because the Saints were supposed to win. But we ended up flying to San Francisco anyways. And we we like basically landed in San Francisco as the NFC divisional round game between the Vikings and Niners was starting. And then basically the whole flight on the way to Minneapolis is as that game is going. And then so it's just like we ended up in San Francisco anyways to get to Minneapolis. Like what an absurd route this is and hopefully we'd never have to do it again (laughs) hopefully home field advantage that's that's better (laughs) oh my gosh yeah Yeah. exactly or go play in la or san francisco that's a little easier (laughs) yeah you got it awesome well i do just want to ask i know that you uh you know i like that you give real answers on these and it's not just like 16 and 0 is your prediction what do you got for this upcoming season um and just give us a little uh explanation why yeah, I think I had 11 and 5, so the same records they had last year. And I think that the schedule starts out really tough. And I actually had them, my first initial project, uh, projection going uh, 5 and 4 to their first nine games. Um, you know, I think games against Dallas at home and on the road against the Buffalo Bills are really going to make or break the first half of their season. Um, but things really open up on the back half, and they have home games against the Giants and Jets, and then followed by a road game against the Redskins. And, um, those are just three games you should mark up as wins. And I ended up having them win six straight games, um, you know, th- through that stretch, getting through, I think, week 16 and ending the season with a loss in San Francisco. So um, they should be in the playoffs again, no problem. Um, even with, you know, obviously the Dunbar news and Klein not coming back, I still think they're good enough. And you know, that's what happens when you have Russell Wilson at quarterback is, you know, your, your, your floor is so high compared to other teams that, um, you know, but at the same time, so tough to predict games of a team that you know is just hell bent on playing every game down to the last possession against good teams against bad teams and you know it makes it impossible to predict uh, to a certain degree but uh, i had 11 and 5 i think their schedule is um is very winnable very doable and uh you know certainly they should have a chance to win the nfc west yeah i'm, I'm with you on that it, that that seems about right where they're at and like you said it's tough with the team that tries to uh take every game to the wire. And I, I do think that – I think you said you had a loss in Buffalo, correct? Tough in that tough I had a stretch. loss in Buffalo, yep. yeah. Yeah, I think that one's going to be tough. Travel across the country, and that's the week after the, the Niners game at home. Those are a couple of slugfests back-to-back. So, 
Um, to me, that's the toughest back-to-back two-game stretch they'll have all year. And I saw that it's Russell Wilson's first time playing in Buffalo because the first time was in Toronto when they had yep. in the, uh, the, I think the Rogers Center or whatever it was over there. And yeah, uh, I, the that's, first time he'll meet the Bills Mafia, assuming yeah. there's fans, which obviously a big question at this point. That's where I'm going to – I think it's going to be tough. Like, that's not an easy place to go play for the first time, like you said, following the Niners. I also see that one as uh, probably a loss for the Seahawks, which I know a lot of people might think, oh, like Seahawks are better than the Bills, but I think that's going to be one of the toughest games of the year. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm 100% with you. I think it's maybe my, my favorite road game I'm looking forward to most. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah they have – I think – and we have seven playoff teams this year too, right? That goes into effect this year? Uh, I don't know the exact number, but um, – yeah. You know, I, I, yes, it's, there are stretches where it's really challenging and that comes with just playing a division that's so challenging. But um, again, I think there's plenty of winnable spots and, um, you know, areas to make up ground as well. Yeah. Oh, George, did you mean seven yeah. teams to make the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, seven uh, teams oh. this year make the playoffs. Correct? I thought you meant on the schedule too. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant, yeah, yeah. on their schedule compared to with how they did last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the 14 team playoff format. Yep. Yeah, that should. I'm interested to see how that uh, ends up. You know, just looking and that one seed becomes so much more valuable because you're the only team that gets the bye week. So, I think we'll be in contention for that personally. Yeah, I mean, it puts a a whole ton of pressure to to get that one seed, and you know, hopefully, makes the last couple weeks of the season uh, even more interesting with more teams involved, and um, you know, the implications of getting the one seed so much more important. Right. And I guess our last question is, what do you, what you said about the Bills Mafia, no fans. I mean, do you, what do you think the football, if, if we had no fans, what do you think it'll do? Well, first for the Seahawks home field advantage becomes a lot different. And two, do you think the game viewing experience would be, I mean, obviously negatively affected, but how negative of an effect would that be on, you know, the TV experience even? I mean, it's not perfect, but it's better than nothing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, uh, it's that's how I those things, like, it's, you know, it'll be weird at first, but, you know, it'll be a new normal and people will get used to it and it's better than not having any football at all. And so, um, you know, from my standpoint, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's not ideal and it'll be weird for players and you'll have, you know, broadcasts will have to figure out what they're going to do with it. But I look at it from a standpoint of TV ratings will be at an all-time high and yeah. you know, they will – um, everyone's going to be glued in, you know, and can you imagine not having football at all? And so um, I think even the a situation that's not ideal is better than the worst case scenario. So um, certainly something that everyone have to get used to, but I, I don't think it would be as alarming and as jarring as, as maybe you think it might be, um, you know, off the top of your head. Yeah, I agree with yes, that. Uh, any football is better than no football. Would you still be, uh, do you know if, if the season does go on with no fans, would reporters still be going to the press box? Or do you know how, if, how would that affect you? Man, I have no idea. You know, yeah. again, like nobody knows so huh? far away. And I, uh, and I, I just like, my thing is, you know, I don't get why, you know, you look at what colleges or, you know, the Cal States, like we're closed for fall. It's like, well, why is that yeah. decision being made on, you know, May 10th or whenever it was made, you know, we're still months away. There's still so much we're going to learn between now and then. And so, you know, I love Scott Van Pelt's line of, I pick optimism because it costs the same. Um, I like that. So from that standpoint, it's like, you know, I have no reason to go doomsday. And I understand, I think we all understand that there's a worst case scenario that exists, right? It's possible. 
that there's no football this whole year, right? I think we all get it. Mm-hmm. But like at the same time, I think there's a good chance that we do play football. And while it might look and sound and feel different, um, you know, again, like we just said, it's better than nothing. And so hopefully um, I will be a deemed essential personnel and we'll, you know, get to travel and get to be at games. And whether I wear a mask in the locker room and in the press box, whatever the case may be, we will see. But, um, you know, it's just far too soon to even try to predict, you know, what that's going to look like from my standpoint. But I remain hopeful nonetheless. I completely agree. Uh, well, thank you for answering all those questions. Um, and we really appreciate you coming on and we'll hopefully have you on during the season as well. Yeah, guys, thanks so much. I really appreciate uh, you guys inviting me on. It was a fun conversation and uh, enjoyed all of it, man. So, uh, again, yeah, have a good weekend, fellas, and we'll chat soon. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for coming up. All right. And that was NBC uh, Northwest sports reporter, Seahawks reporter, Joe Fan. Good conversation. I love kind of the ending there, which is, going to use the Scott Van Pelt line that I'm going to choose optimism because it costs the same. And I agree with him. College is shutting down or us calling for the league being, you know, um, not existing. I don't think that's necessary at this point. Let's just wait and see what happens and see where, where the world, uh, where the, you know, the world takes us. And yeah, I completely agree. I'm, I mean, I put out that video yesterday and I kind of, that's how I feel. I feel like it's just too early to be making decisions for fall. That's all I could really say. I mean, we just don't know what – we don't even know what next week's going to look like, let alone what September's going to look like. So, yeah, it is what it is. It is what it is. And we got a couple comments I'm just going to go through. Um, just to shout out the people that commented in today. Uh, Goldick 16 said he doesn't know how he feels about Quentin Dunbar. He wants him on the team, but he deserves to be in jail, probably. Um, probably right. Auditor Scott said it, it's – like it's nice to have 23 guards and tight ends, but we saw what happened last year when Lockie got hurt. Now yeah. corners could have drafted drafted death. We answered that on the show. That's why he said thank so thank you. Uh George Valley, we went through his comment during the show. And uh Seahawks for Life says he lives a mile from where the armed robbery was. Well, I'm, I'm wow. glad you're you're safe and not the one being <laughs> robbed. <laughs> he guessed nine and seven for the season. Um, Denard for nickel. I should ask that during the show. I have no idea what they're going to be doing at the nickel. And he said that he's hearing the season. They might push the season back till Halloween. You know, who knows? Like, like we said to end the show here today, it's, I, you know, there's a scenario where there's no football at all. And there's probably a scenario that we do have fans in, in the stadium. Um, by the end of the year. There's a scenario where it's exactly normal. Yeah, or there's, there's a situation where it's kind of normal with masks. Or, or like you said, yeah, there might be a situation, you're 100% right, that in December I'm at a Seahawks game just like I was last year. Right, and, the world, and there's a scenario that there's no season. Yeah, so let's choose optimism. I like that. <laughs> I like and that now, too, man. Yeah, we thank Joe Fan for coming on again. And, uh, man, George, quick prediction. Just the, for the Seahawks? Yeah, quick prediction. I mean, I want to go we're game gonna, by game at some point, but like I think we're going to do that this week, right? Yeah, yeah, we'll do that this week. But I think we're going to be the number one seed. I think we're the best team in the NFC. Um, the Dunbar, Dunbar. news <laughs> kind of changes that a little bit for me. You know what I mean? Like, That's I that was with him. I think he was a huge addition. So I was going to go twelve and four with Dunbar. I'll probably go, I, I don't know if we eleven and five, twelve and four. 
somewhere around there. Yeah, we'll see. It's uh, I'm going to go somewhere between 11-5 and 12-4. And, and I think this year it's going to be really balanced, especially in the NFC. I think it's going to be pretty balanced. I think there's a lot of good teams, which means there's going to be a lot of losses. You don't need to be 14-2. and two. I mean, with the mm. 49ers, the Packers, the Buccaneers, the Saints, the – I mean, I'm probably missing other people here too. The Vikings. The Vikings. I'm missing. I'm probably still missing a couple good teams. Cowboys, yeah. Eagles. Yeah. You're not going to need to go 14 and two to win. Well, the and, 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 and the Arizona Cardinals, to me, are the biggest sleeper team in in the NFC. They're not my sleeper team overall. My sleeper team is. I think Sammy knows who they are. But um, the Steve, uh, do you? I don't know. AFC Broncos. I, I just love the Broncos, oh, yeah. I think. But um overall, I think if the NFC our division's tough. But in theory, there's three wildcard teams now. So yeah. you could technically, which is I don't think is gonna happen, you have all four teams in the NFC West make the playoffs. And it could I, happen. It could happen. I don't think it's going to, but I think all four teams in the NFC West will be in contention for one of the seven playoff spots. Yeah, I guess the last thing I'll mention here is that when, when, I, like I was saying, that we don't have to go fourteen and two to get the number one seed, and kind of basing off what you're saying with four teams in the NFC West having a chance, yeah. almost every NFC team, whether it's a young guy or established guy, has their quarterback basically, right? Mm-hmm. So. We're only talking a couple teams, like maybe the Chicago Bears that are in question, but they have Nick Falls waiting or they have Trubisky, whatever they go with. You have Matt Stafford in Detroit, even though they're not expected to be a great team. But the whole NFC West has their quarterback. You have the whole um, NFC East, even though those young guys, they have quarterbacks, right? And so it's not the biggest shocker if it's a pretty even season. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, especially with no, uh, maybe no preseason, no offseason training it's i think everyone will be on a very even playing field because this we tend to be a very well prepared team and it's gonna be hard to be well prepared we'll see what happens <laughs> are we really awesome. well? <laughs> I know, yeah. episode 31 of the seattle super pod you can find us at sonsports.com or for this sonsseattle.com that's s-o-n-t seattle or s-o-n-t sports.com Follow Sant Seattle, S-O-N-T Seattle at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. And for our podcast on Instagram and on Twitter, it's at pod that. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it may be. Um, Great podcast. If you missed some of it, go on iTunes. uh, Type right that in right there if you're watching on the screen right now. That being said, podcast. And if you're listening to this after, we are going live on Twitter every single time at Sant Seattle and sometimes on Facebook as well. So tune in. Much love, um, George. You know, that, I said check us out at SantSeattle.com. And people always ask, what does Sant stand for? I think it stands for Sports on Tap. Sports on Tap. So this is Sports on Tap Seattle. And this is Sports Radio. Redefined. Everyone stay safe. Peace. Peace.